but I always see it as a good opportunity for me to stop and reflect. From one passing year as we move into a new year, sometimes, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes it feels like I come sliding in barely at the end of the year. And I'm feeling pretty tired, I'm feeling pretty worn out, and yet all of a sudden now we have to turn around and face another year ahead of us. But it's always a good time to stop and reflect where I am spiritually. Are there things that need to change in my life, and am I ready for the year ahead of me, even though I don't know everything that the year holds for me, yet nonetheless I know that there are things that God requires and expects of me. So one of the passages that I come to at this time of the year is Hebrews chapter 12, and we will return to Ecclesiastes next Sunday, but I want to spend time in just these three verses. Because I always need to remind myself that there is something that I must do, and that is I need to run the race. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but I feel tired and weary, and it's interesting when you look at this book of Hebrews, there are those that the author is writing to, and he knows that they are feeling worn down. There may be some want to throw their hands up and say, I quit. This is, I'm done with this. I can't do this anymore. And so he writes this letter really as an encouragement. And for me, that is what I draw from this passage and also from the rest of Hebrews is, yes, I know that there is a race to be run, but there is encouragement to be found here. Because you realize that when you run this race, you're not running it by yourself. There's others who have gone before you. There's those who have run this race and they have done well, they have finished well, they have received the promise. And we have a list of those individuals in chapter 11, what we know as the Hall of Faith. And Fitzhugh makes this statement in light of that chapter. He says, The people of God from Bible days can help us through life in many ways. Those saints of old can give direction to steer and lead us towards perfection. When you look at just the life of Moses himself in chapter 11, through faith he was able to see the invisible, choose the impossible, and to be used by God to do that which is impossible. But we look at this chapter and we should find strength and encouragement from that. We realize that we don't walk this path alone. We don't run this race alone. There's others who have gone before us. They've set a pattern for us. But we each have our race to run. The thing that I think I find very interesting about this book, and especially about that chapter, is that there's something common about for all of us in regards to our salvation. There is a unity in our salvation. There are things that we all experience exactly the same, sanctification and so on. And yet at the same time, there is diversity in God's idea of unity. In other words, there is a race that each of us have to run. There is something that is set before each one of us that, that God wants us to run, And if you look at all those in chapter 11, and just go back and read through that over this next week, and look at all of the examples of those who have gone before, everyone had their place, everyone had their role, but there was some commonality, it was their faith. But they all had things that they needed to do that God expected of them. In chapter 12, if you walk through the chapter, you'll see the example of the Son of God in the first three verses, the assurance of the love of God in verses 4 through 13, and then this section is where the author talks about God's discipline that comes in our life, and we need it so sorely to become who He wants us to be. And then we have the enablement of the grace of God in chapter 12, verses 14 through 29. And we're only going to look at the first three verses. The focus that runs through chapter 12 is endurance. It starts at the end of chapter 10, it runs through chapter 11, and then into chapter 12. 
But here is, if you will, the title for this message this morning and for the focus for our time together, and that is the race that is set before us or the race that is set before me. Just as Moses, right? Just as the others had a race to run, each one of us has a race to run. We have things that God expects of us to do. There are things that He is going to call upon us to do through this next year. The question is, is will we will be there faithfully ready to serve and to do the things that He calls us to do. But the interesting thing about this book, and I was thinking through the songs as we're singing them, and I'm just, the way the Holy Spirit works, Ryan had no idea what I was preaching on this morning. None. But as we're singing through the songs, they were perfect. Perfect for this passage. Which meant that the Holy Spirit was working on both ends. He's working on Ryan and leading him to pick the songs. He's working on me to lead me to chapter 12 to work on this passage. And God is putting all of this together. But the focus that we're going to find as we come to these verses is the focus that we need to put on Jesus Christ. And that runs all the way through the book of Hebrews. Go back to chapter 3, verse 2. It says this, Jesus being faithful to the one appointed to him. And the author tells us that we are to consider him, that we are to think upon him. The word that he uses here means that we are to concentrate all of our attentive thought towards him, to consider closely so that we can understand him fully. This is the challenge that I have as I come into this next year, is to understand Jesus more this year than I have ever before. To walk closer to him, to draw near to him, to have a greater understanding of just who he is and what he expects of me and the salvation that I have in him. So the author calls us to concentrate on him, to think about him decisively so that we can have a clear and full understanding, a real comprehension of who Jesus Christ is. So often we come across believers and when they start talking about God or they start talking about Jesus Christ, you kind of have to stop and scratch your head a little bit. Because you start to ask yourself, is that really the Jesus of the Bible? Is that really the, the same one that I worship? Is that really the true Savior of the world that you're talking about? Or is this some other sort of imaginary, if you will, Jesus in your own mind? And sometimes we come across people who do this. They concoct a Jesus that fits their lifestyle, that fits the way they want to live their life. What the author of Hebrews challenges to do is to come and see Christ. And what's interesting is that when you look at Hebrews, there's a series of warning passages. And they're all very serious. They warn of apostates. Those who turn away from the faith and walk away from it. And so there's this constant warning that comes through this letter. But what's interesting is that if you really focus on it, you find that that really isn't where the primary attention is. It's about the promise that's given. But ultimately, it's about the promise that's given in Jesus Christ. In other words, the focus of Hebrews is on the superiority of Christ. So in the first few chapters, chapters 1 through 4, we have the superiority of Christ's person. He's greater than the prophets. He's greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than Melchizedek. And on and on he goes. And when it talks about the work of Christ, he's superior in that as well. It seems to be that if you read through Hebrews that there are those who are being led maybe to go back towards Judaism and they want to embrace the old ways rather than continue to walk in the faith of Christ and focus on Christ and to concentrate on him. And so the author is redirecting their attention back to him to show the superiority of his work and the sufficiency of that and the salvation that he provides. But he takes us then into chapters 12, or chapter 10 through 13, and he talks about the superiority of Christ and the Christian walk of faith. 
And in chapter 12, verse 2, this is how he begins fixing your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. In other words, the exhortation is to persevere in faith by focusing on Jesus Christ. He is the example, but he's also the author and he is the perfecter of our faith. Now, I, I realize that that leaves us with some sort of a theological conundrum, but it's not really, actually, if you understand the passage well, and if you understand it in light of the book, and I'm not going to unravel that conundrum for you, or I'm not going to explain it away, but I want to walk in and look at these verses together this morning. So there comes the exhortation in the beginning of chapter 12, the exhortation to run the race. The word, therefore, looks backwards to everything that has preceded. The argument starts in chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a warning passage in chapter 6, verses 4 through 8. And this particular passage, he's going to talk about the fact that there is this need for them to mature in the faith. And what's interesting is that in this warning passage, he's going to talk about the fact that they should have been teachers already. In other words, you've been saved for this long, you've received instruction, you received teaching, and yet you should be coming alongside other people and teaching them, but you're not doing that yet. And so the author responds not by, I'm going to take you back to the ABCs, but he's going to exhort them on to maturity and to grow. He's going to encourage them to persevere in the faith in chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. And then he concludes this by encouraging them in chapter 6, verse 12, to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. This is the exhortation that I find that I need in my life at this time of the year. When we start into the new year, I need to persevere to the end. Just as much as we faced trials last year, I don't know what your last year looked like, but there was a lot of ups and downs for me in my life. And things that were going on in the lives of others as you walk alongside of them and walk with them through the difficult times. I don't know what the next year holds for me, but I know that one of the things that I must do is I must persevere in the faith. That I must endure through all of these things. The hard times, plus also the good times. It's interesting that if you walk through then and follow on in chapter 10, we find the same pattern that happens again. You go back and read it for yourself. At the end of chapter 10, we have a warning about the consequences of rejecting Christ, followed by the encouragements to maintain confidence and perseverance in faith in order to receive what was promised. And again, there is this refrain that keeps coming over and over again. In order to receive that which is promised, you must persevere to the end. And that is the point of these warning passages. It's to stick to it. Don't give up. To keep pressing on, no matter what the race looks like for you, to continue to persevere. Chapter 11 then leads us into these various models of faith from Old Testament on, and then it climaxes in the portrait of Jesus in chapter 12, verses 2 through 3. So that is the flow of the book of Hebrews as it moves into chapter 12. And I leave that for you to ponder on through this next week. But I take you into chapter 12, verse 1. Run the race that is set before us. First, this is a race we all must run. This isn't merely a suggestion. This is what we call a volative present subjunctive. In other words, it takes on imperatival force. And we could render it this way. Let us keep on running. And that is the point, the persistence, the endurance, the perseverance of your faith to keep on pressing on, no matter what hurdles are in front of you, to keep striving to advance. It was good spending time at Christmas with my kids, my oldest son being in town, my oldest daughter, and it's just fun to watch what God is doing in their lives. But they're going through difficult times sometimes. 
My oldest son had some serious decisions that he needed to make, difficult decisions, but good decisions. And it's one of those times where as a father, I just sat back and just rejoiced in the Lord and the work that he is doing in his life. That he's making the kind of wise decisions, right? This is one of my favorite Proverbs, the, the delight that comes to a father's heart when from his child's heart he speaks forth wisdom. And to hear the things that he was saying and the decisions that he was making brought great rejoicing, but I understood there was a lot of pain in them. There was some suffering there. But yet to watch him advance, to see each of my kids strive to move forward, to move on, to press on to receive that promise that awaits them in heaven, the moving forward with a direct purpose. Sometimes we find ourselves throughout the years sort of meandering, not sure where we're going or what we're about. One of the things that I, I'm going through the Gospels, and I started this going through Mark's Gospel, and this Jesus' statement that he made to the disciples, that I will make you become fishers of men. Now Mark is the only one who phrases it that way. I will make you become fishers of men. And all of a sudden it just dawned on me that this was so intentional. And the realization for my own life is that I need to be intentional about discipling other people. And I need to be more intentional about my faith. And I need to be more intentional about the things that I am directing my life towards and the things that I am pursuing. Because sometimes I find myself just sort of wandering around, right? Sometimes we find ourselves in that normal routine of life and we get so stuck in those ruts of the same old thing all the time and we get up and we just respond to this and respond to that, respond to this, and before we know it, the day is done and the week is gone and the month has passed and all of a sudden we're at the end of the year and you feel like, how far have I gone in my relationship with the Lord and the ministry that He's entrusted to me? So the exhortation is that we need to be purposeful in what we do. You look at those who have listed for us in chapter 11 in the hall of faith and the things that they went through, the trials that they faced. Oftentimes just standing by themselves, but they knew what the Lord wanted them to do. And they persevered in that. The race is set before us, and so we see this. And I like the wording that is laid out here for us in regards to this in chapter 12, verse 1. Run the race with endurance, the race that is set out for us. It is appointed for us. It is established for us. And the wording here indicates that this isn't a short sprint. This is a marathon. Sometimes I need to remember that as a believer. For me, I, I'm, I'm good at the short distance, or at least I used to be. I didn't always walk with a cane and didn't always limp. And my dad, he always ran marathons, and so sometimes I'd go running with him. When we were little kids, that's what he'd do. He'd get us up in the morning, we'd go running at Biola Track with him in the morning, and then we would head off to school. And that became a routine for our life. When my dad, as we trained marathons, I'd go out and run with him. And I was fine for the first four miles or whatever. After that, forget it, I'm going home, right? Because all of a sudden, cruise control kicks in and he's gone. I can do the short distance, I can run fast, but after four, I'm done. I'm going home. But sometimes I feel like that in, in my walk with the Lord as I get these spurts and I, and, I, and I burst forth and I just go and do that and then all of a sudden, right, I just sort of come to an end and I'm weary and I find myself worn out and I have to keep reminding myself, this is a marathon. 
This is a marathon. I got to be in it for the long haul. That has implications then on my life because there are things that we need to do so that we can run this long distance race. However long the Lord has us here on this earth. And the author is going to help us to understand this, but the key is to stay in the race all the way to the end. And this is what the author of Hebrews exhorts us to do, to do our best all along the way. The next thought comes in, in chapter 12, and that is to run the race in light of those who have gone before us. And the connection comes in verse 1 of chapter 12. And in the NASB, it's translated, therefore, but it's more than that. There's actually three words that are built together, and it is indeed, for, and therefore. And the author piles all of them together, and we could render it this way, for that very reason, therefore. It's a very emphatic way of establishing the fact that what must follow in light of what proceeds. So in light of chapter 11 and all that the author tells us about those in the hall of faith and their life and what it looks like, he now is going to extend that argument and say, okay, now you need to do this. You, in your turn, need to live this kind of faith. You think about the focus that they had. It was really sort of staggering to me to think about this, that Abraham was an eschatological man. Moses was an eschatological man. There are things that we find out about Moses in chapter 11 that we don't find out from Genesis. The things that he forsook for the sake of right embracing the riches that are in Christ. The difficulties that he went through. The things that he had to deal with. And what the author says is that you not only have this cloud of witnesses. He says you have a great cloud of witnesses that encompass you. You have all of these examples that surround you. Not only in chapter 11 but read through the rest of scripture. But I find it interesting that the author chooses ones that we know. In other words, there aren't any obscure names in Hebrews chapter 11 in this hall of faith. These are all stories that if you grew up in church, you learned them in Sunday school. So you know all of the stories. Which is really amazing because when you look at some of the names that are listed in the hall of faith and you look at the things that are said about them, you said, well, that really can't be so. I mean, look at the things that were said about Abraham and about Moses, right, and Noah. And look at all that is revealed about them in chapter 11. Go back and read this and think about the things that are stated about them. Because we all know the biblical accounts. We can go back to the Old Testament and look at the times that they failed. I mean, Abraham, right? Twice he allowed his wife to be taken by some other man. Twice he lied, right? To save his own bacon. And yet he's in the hall of faith. What's encouraging to me when I walk through that chapter. Is the realization of the fact that yes this is a marathon. And there will be failures. We all fail. If we're really honest, like 1 John chapter 1 tells us to be. If we're honest about who we are and about the sin in our life. We acknowledge the fact that we have sin and failures. And we do fall flat on our face. But we get back up and we persevere like those that are in chapter 11. In other words, the exhortation is to persevere through those things. Through those failures. Through those moments of sin. And the realization about it's about the long haul. Not about the short sprint. As parents for our children, we have to remember this. 
Sometimes they might find themselves in a point in their life where they're struggling, maybe struggling in their faith. And we have to remember that this is a marathon, not a short race. But the amazing thing about all of these individuals, if we notice in chapter 11, that they're all attested to. They are examples of faith for us. Chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. They were witnessed to by God in the pages of Scripture and witnessed to by God in chapter 11, affirmed the fact that they are ones who can demonstrate for us the nature and the possibilities of faith in our life. It's amazing the statements that are made in relation to faith in their lives. They are meant to bring us instruction, conviction, but also encouragement. The realization that we stand on the shoulders of others. This is where I realize that there is a divine mandate for biography. I read history not because I like history, but I, I just don't. I don't like memorizing dates and any of that. But I find that it's so good to go back and look at our past and see where we came from as a church and to see the lives of those who went before us and the things that they went through. So my wife, when homeschooling the kids, she would do that with the kids. Is she reads through all the different missionary stories of different individuals who have served the Lord with their life, who've run this race of faith and who endure to the end and read about their lives. And what I like, and sometimes I get frustrated about reading these books about missionaries, is the fact that oftentimes you get all the highlights but not the lowlights. You get all the positive things but not the negative things. So one day there was a pastor who had passed away and his wife was donating the books. She had them laid out at a conference I went to and she set them out and she says, if anyone wants anything, just come and take it. And one of the books was a story of Adonai Judson. And I've read it before, but I picked it up and I was flipping through it and I noticed that there was some comments about difficulties in his life. And I said, all right, I'm going to take this and read it. And I so appreciated the author and the approach that they took in writing about his life. Because instead of just merely giving us the highlights of all the positive and great and amazing things that happened in and through his life from serving Christ, but he also talked about the difficult times in his life. He talked about the time that after he lost his wife and his children, he ran off into the forest and he dug a grave for himself and he sat at the edge of it and he waited to die. And that was right before one of the most fruitful times in his ministry. For me, it helped me realize it isn't all about highlights. Everything isn't going to be great in my life. Everything isn't going to go our way. There are going to be those down points, those times where you start to question and doubt. But this is what Hebrews is for, is to exhort us on, to persevere in the faith to turn our eyes towards Jesus and fix our gaze on Him and not take our eyes off of Him. Because that's usually when we start to sink, isn't it? Like Peter. We're fine as long as we keep our eyes on Him, but as soon as we take Him off of Him... So the author says, to run the race without encumbrance or entanglement. He says, if you notice in verse 1, we must get rid of every encumbrance and the sin that easily encircles us. So two things he deals with here. Encumbrance, just a broad reference, and then to sin. And this we all understand, run the race of endurance. It's Hebrews, if you walk through Hebrews, you'll see that there are several things that the author lays out that can impede us in our perseverance in the faith. First, suffering, next, shame, and the other is sin. 
But it's interesting that in this particular passage, he talks about these encumbrances, the amoral things. And he talks about the fact that we need to set these encumbrances aside. This is such a powerful passage. And I talked about this with my oldest son. Because there were some decisions I had to make in my life that were not easy. And I had to make them in light of this passage. I had a friend, Steve, and his last initial was M, Maitrina. Steve and Steve. We, I knew him since I was a little kid in elementary school. We hung out and did everything together. We were so close we could finish, finish each other's thoughts. But the problem was is that we just were not good together. We just got in trouble all the time. It was like gasoline and a match, right? I mean, we just, but we were best buds and we'd always been. But I came to a point in my life and I realized that I just cannot stay in this friendship. Because if I do, right, it's going to continue to draw me away from the Lord. And if I truly want to walk, a life that is surrendered to Christ, I must end this relationship. And therefore I did that. And it was a tough thing for me to do. And that wasn't the only relationship I had to break with. But the author here leaves it broad like this because there are so many things in our life that hinder our faith, that hinder the pursuance of running the race with endurance. There are things that are, are weighty to us in our life, things that we cling to, things that we need to let go of. So this is always a good time for me to stop and just sort of evaluate my life and ask myself, what is it that I need to get rid of? For running the marathon, it's funny because when I watched my dad, he'd run these marathons. The first one I went to was in Arizona. That was brutal. The last couple miles, I had my dad's arm wrapped over my shoulder and I had to help him. And he walked the last couple miles and then his body just gave out and stuck him in the van. That was the first marathon, I think, that I went to with him. After that, he ran the L.A. and then the Boston. The thing that is interesting watching the marathons is the fact that in order to run that far, 26 miles, and to do it in the time in which they do it in, you need to shed everything you can possibly shed that will weigh you down. So I used to make fun of them because they wear these really, you know, small paper-thin kind of shorts, and these really thin jerseys, right? And this is what they would run in. But you understand, if you're running 26 miles, and especially if you're doing it in Arizona when it's really hot out, right, you need to shed everything you can possibly shed so that you can run that race. This is what the author's talking about. What is it that's hanging you up? What is it, if you look back over this last year, what has, it been, has been an encumbrance to you in running this race? What is it that you need to shed yourself of in your life? The next one is easy, the entanglements that trip us up, the immoral hindrances. This is the sin that gets in our way. I always think about this passage because the way that the author describes it in Greek, it's like it's nipping at your heels. And so I, <clears throat> keeping up the running in my life, when I was older, we lived in Angeles Crest uh, in a place called Alpine Way, in the backside of the mountains in, in near L.A., and so I would go out of the house and I would run up and I'd start running up the mountains. Going up the hill was a piece of cake for me and I liked it. So I go running up the hills. I, I like to where my, my lungs start burning and my heart feels like it's going to explode out of my chest and then I 
feel like I'm doing something, right? But it's coming down the hill that was the hard part because it's the pounding on your knees and ankles as you do this, right? But as I come down the mountain, I would always, as a habit, when I learned of my dad, is that the last little bit of my running, I would just sprint it out as fast as I can. But I, there was a stretch where it would flatten out. And in the stretch, there was a pack of dogs that lived in the wash. And the first time they surprised me, but after that, I used them for motivation. And so I would start approaching this flat part, and I would start into my full sprint. You would hear them barking before you saw them. But then all of a sudden, here they come. They're just starting nipping at your heels. And that was a good incentive for me to keep running and run fast. But every time I come to this passage and think about the entanglement of sin, of that nipping at your heels, this is the image that comes to my mind. But we all have that. And so what these dogs would do, there was like six of them. So there were four of them that would come in the back. The other two would try to come around the front. The four would drive me. The other two would try to come in front and tangle up my legs so that I would trip and fall. And this is how they would get their prey. But see, if I start my run fast enough, I can stay ahead of those two. I can see them on the outside trying to come in, but I can stay ahead of them, right? But this is what they do. And this is what the author's talking about. We have this sin in our life that's nipping at our heels. What is it in your life that's doing that? What is it that you need to get rid of so that you can run this race? Because there's nothing more than Satan wants to do is to hamper us, to trip us up, to have us fall flat on our face, to start to question and doubt. So the psalmist, and the writer of Hebrews takes us further. He says, run the race with endurance. And he gives us this example of Christ. He is the one upon whom we are to fix our gaze. And it's interesting the word that he uses here in verse 2, fixing our eyes on Jesus. The word is in two parts, apa and harao. Apa is away from, harao is to see. In other words, what he's saying is looking away from all else, fix your gaze solely upon him. So I have to ask myself walking into this new year, is my gaze fixed solely upon Christ or am I looking elsewhere? The example then that comes for us in verses 2 and 3 on how to run that race. Jesus is the supreme example. Go back and read through, if you will, through Hebrews and all the times that we have reference to imitate, to consider, to ponder, to think upon, to fix our gaze on Jesus Christ. Never take your eyes off of him because he is the author and perfecter of faith. I love this statement. The author, when he talks about this, he is the consummator, if you will, of our faith. Now, again, I realize there is a theological conundrum here, and I'm going to leave this for you to dwell on. We have warning passages, and yet at the same time, we have this amazing statement of the fact that Christ is the author of our faith and also the perfecter of our faith. In other words, he is the one bringing the life of faith to its complete conclusion, to its consummation, some have rendered it the finisher, but it's an unfortunate rendering because bringing it to perfection is better because it's the idea of completion here. Jesus endured the cross and the scorning and shame. Jesus endured opposition and hostility from sinners. As he talks about the issue of dealing with sin in our life, just think about verse 4, and I'll leave this for you to ponder on. You have not resisted the, to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. Jesus endured all of these things. He set the example for us, and in the end, he was exalted triumphantly 
as a result of such endurance. The exhortation to all of us through this next year is to keep your eyes on Jesus. We have a race to run. It's not a short sprint. It's a marathon. But keep your eyes on Jesus. Fix your gaze solely upon him. Remove those things that are encumbering you and remove those sins from your life that you know are hampering you in the process so that you can be used by God in such amazing ways in the year to come. May God help us. Dad, would you close in order of prayer?